Now, the verses I just read, the king of Aram, who was most likely Ben-Hadad, was at war with Israel. Wars in those days were not uncommon. They happened quite often. In fact, if you read through the Old Testament, you'll see that history shows that after the crops were in the field in the spring, the kings or the, or the generals would muster their armies and they would go out to war. They would go and fight. Now, often these battles, and this particular one was perhaps that kind of battle, often these battles were the result of border skirmishes. Border skirmishes that were caused by greedy people who had a habit of infringing on their neighbor's property. In those days, there weren't line fences, and there weren't surveyors, and there weren't benchmarks to show where the property corners were. Instead, there were piles of rock on each corner of a person's property. It was very convenient for people under the darkness of night to sneak out there and move those piles of stone over. Oh, not a long ways, maybe just three or four feet, and then let them for a month or two, and then sneak out again and move them again, thus enlarging their property and diminishing their neighbor's property. Now, this may have been the kind of skirmish that we're looking at this morning because this happened on a large scale in those days. Anyway, the king of Aram had set up a top-secret meeting with his military council, and at this meeting, a plan was hatched, and preparations were made to put this plan into action, put it into place. It was a brilliant Surefire plan. It was a plan that absolutely could not fail. Well, it would have been all of those things if Elisha didn't alert the king of Israel to everyone of Ben-Hadad's plans of attack before they were even executed. Here's how that went. The Arameans would set an ambush, but Elisha would find out about them and he would tell the king of Israel to steer clear of those places and tell his men to steer clear of those places where the Arameans were lurking in the shadows. Now put yourself for a few moments this morning, put yourself into the king of Aram's sandals for a moment. Think of how frustrating it would be, how awful it would be to come up with a hush-hush, top-secret plan, only to find out that your enemy already knew every single part of it, every single turn and every single twist of that very special plan. Now you'd probably think, if you were in that position, like the king of Aram did. You'd probably think that you had a traitor in your camp, someone who was playing both sides of the road. Today we would call them a double agent. But who could it be? Finding out who it was, very, very difficult. But the king found out through one of his officers that there wasn't a spy, not at all. There was just, just this man in Israel who knows, and I quote the very words the king speaks in his bedroom. And Aram. Imagine that. Even in his most private sanctuary with, with the curtains drawn and the doors barred, even there he wasn't secure. Scary, isn't it? With that discovery, the king obviously had to change his focus. So he issued a decree to the generals of the armies forget about attacking Israel for a while, Con concentrate instead on taking out Elisha. I hope, people of God, I hope that you and I get in trouble someday for the very same reason Elisha did. May God give us, you and I, an opportunity to speak the truth in such a way that the people God loves are protected from harm. May, may we find ourselves a focus of opposition because the things that we say do good to those who need protection 
and concern and care the most. Now before going on, we should bring this a bit closer to home for a moment. You and I, in fact all Christians are at war. I've mentioned this before in messages here. I want to remind you, we are at war. All Christians have an enemy who hates them, hates them very well. It's a truth we don't like to think about because we all like to be loved. We don't want to be hated, but we, we are hated. Our enemy, of course, is Satan. And he's suddenly planning his strategy. His plans are to rob us of our hope, to kill our faith, and to destroy our witness for God. Now, his, his means of attack may differ from those of the king of Aram, but his intent is exactly the same. That's the bad news. Here's the good news. We don't have to worry about that. We don't have to worry about that because, because we have God on our side. And it's a very, very good thing that we do because by ourselves, we don't stand a chance against Satan. He's such, a, such an awful foe. Left alone, we aren't able to stand against such a powerful enemy. Like I said, we don't have to worry. And neither did Elisha's servant. Neither did he have to worry. Listen to what happens. If you have your Bibles open, look at verse 15. When the servant of the man of God got up and went out early the next morning, an army of horses and chariots had surrounded the city. Oh, my Lord, what should we do? The servant asked. Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed, O Lord, open his eyes so he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he looked, and he saw horses, hills rather full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Once again, once again the king of Aram had a foolproof plan, or so he thought. And in a surprise attack, he sent his entire army to surround this city of Dothan, to put it in a, in, in a vice-like grip. Bit of overkill, don't you think? All of that military machinery, all of those warriors, all of those soldiers just to capture one man. But the king was serious about taking out Elisha. Now to Elisha's servant, things looked grim. The sight that greeted him when he got up in the morning and went for his morning walk around, around the perimeter of the city wall and the top of the wall was nothing short of terrifying. The peaceful landscape he had left when he went to sleep the night before and perhaps had taken a walk on the same pathway as he had. That was quite common in those days. The peaceful landscape he had left when he went to sleep had been replaced by a huge army. A huge army complete with horses and chariots. It was an unexpected attack. Nobody knew why that army was there. Even, even the citizens of Dothan didn't know. And as Elisha and his servant walked around the city wall. They saw a military force aligned against him at every single point. There was no breach in that army. Every single pathway was covered. Every point was covered. There was no escape. There was no way out of that city. And to make things even more tenuous, there were not enough armed forces within that city of Dothan to defend it against. Such a mighty host. In desperation, the servant cries out to Elijah, Oh my Lord, what should we do? What should we do? Tell me, have you ever been there? 
Have you ever been there? Have you ever looked at the hopelessness of your situation and cried out, what shall I do? I don't know which way to turn. Help. Help. I'm guessing you have. I know that I have. But look at the response of Elijah. He replies, we've got them just where we want them now. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Those who are with us are, are, are more than those who are, who are with them. Hold on a minute here, Elijah. Hold on a moment. Don't you see what's happening out there? Don't you realize that you and I and this entire city are in great danger? We're going to lose our lives. Don't you realize that? Don't be afraid. There's more with us than with that entire army. Strange words in this situation, don't you think? It says Elisha knows something that nobody else knows. Does he, does he perhaps need some time off? Maybe he's been working too, too many hours. Maybe, maybe he needs a rest. Maybe, maybe he needs counseling. Maybe we should send him somewhere. And why is he so calm? Why is this man always so calm? Well, the answer to his peace is found in verse 17. And Elisha prayed, O Lord, open his eyes so he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he looked and he saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Dothan. Dothan was a small walled city. It was built in a valley and that valley was was ringed with high mountains, and it was on those mountains that the servants saw those chariots of fire and those horses all around the city. God's provision and power had been there, by the way, all along, but the servant hadn't been able to see it. Elisha knew what the servant was going through. He had, he had had a crisis of his own, in fact, several of them, one of them concerned whether he would see the chariot and horses of fire that came for his predecessor, for Elijah. Already he had faced that, that difficult question, will I trust God to see the invisible and believe in the strength and the authority of heaven even, even when it cannot be measured with my, with my physical senses? And so he prayed. He prayed that his servant would take hold of the truth it required faith to see. It's a marvelous privilege to be able to pray for a struggling friend who is fearful and beaten down, to pray with him or her, to pray, oh Lord, open their eyes, make it real to them, help them so they can see you. Elisha and his servant were protected all along. But the servant, the servant didn't realize it. He couldn't see that, that all around, all around Elisha were thousands upon thousands of angels surrounding him and protecting him. What an amazing scene it must have been for this, for this servant. What a breathtaking glimpse into the promise of God's provision and God's protection before any harm, any harm at all, could come to Elisha or to his servant, the armies of Aram would have to go through the host of angelic warriors in fiery chariots, and that would not be possible. The servant of Elisha had to learn the very same lesson that God's people, I'm talking about you and me this morning, that you and I need to learn today. Our great need 
in our world and our situation today is to have our eyes opened. I'm confident that if instead of inviting me to to lead the worship service, lead the message this morning, you had invited the Apostle Paul here, I'm guessing, I'm quite confident, he would have prayed for that very thing. I'm confident of that because of what he wrote to the Ephesian Christians. Listen, Ephesians 1, 16 and 17. I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. The next two verses, 18 and 19, same chapter I pray also. That the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. Two chapters later, chapter 3, and I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all of the fullness of God. As I said before, what we need is to have our eyes opened spiritually. Realize with me that that probably happened when you and I confess God as the Lord of our lives. When we first discovered Jesus, when we decided that, that he, was, he was our maker, that he was our leader, that he was the one we had to, had to worship and praise. At that time, we couldn't get enough of him, if you remember back then. Your Bible was always open. You read it two or three or four times a day. You hummed hymns in the back of your mind. Some, some made, made a, a vow that they, would, that they would serve him always. But as we grow older, some of that fades away. As we mature in him, some of that seems to be lost. So we need to see his power again. We need to see his protection. We need to see his love. We need to see his inheritance. We need to see that in those who believe. Now I'm talking about the people sitting next to you. You need to see it in the people sitting next to to those who who believe. And they need to see it in you. They need to see it in all of us. The world needs to see it in us. But you might ask, why do we need to see God's protection around us? And and what happens if we don't look for it? Or or what happens if we look for it and don't find it? Let me answer that question by pointing out the difference in behavior between Elisha on one hand and his servant on the other in the scripture lesson for today. In the midst of imminent danger, Elisha was perfectly calm. He was perfectly calm and at ease because of what he could see, and his servant was a mess, a terrible mess, because of what he could not see. The servant was completely safe. He didn't realize it. He was completely safe as long as he was with Elisha because... Because of the angelic protectors. But he forfeited his peace and he forfeited his well-being by focusing on the things that he could see instead of focusing on the things that he could not see. And the same goes for us. The same thing applies to you and to me. A far worse army surrounds us these days. We face demonic foes incomparably more evil than the human soldiers whose armor glittered in the morning sunshine around that city of Dothan. 
Paul wrote about that in his letter to the Ephesians. Listen. He writes, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the authorities and against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. In spiritual warfare, it isn't enough to try to lift discouraged hearts with a cheery fear not. Because human words of encouragement are just not enough. They're not sufficient. We must have We must have our eyes of faith opened so we can see evidence of God's powerful presence all around. Elisha's servant personifies the despair and fear that comes when we depend on human judgment and on our own common sense. Elisha, on the other hand, personifies the confidence that comes with faith when we depend on God's power, not on our own, but on God's power. I want you to notice one other thing. Notice, too, that Elisha did not have to pray for God to send help. Did you notice that when we read through that passage? He didn't have to pray, God, send someone to rescue us. Help was already there. It was already there. He simply prayed to have eyes open to see it. People of God, in this account, we find specific answers to real problems. Indeed, if you think of it, that is the witness of the entire New Testament. Look at what happens there. Death threatens, and death is answered by resurrection. Chains bind, and chains are broken, so we are set free through the blood of Jesus Christ. Children are orphaned, and they're claimed by God as his royal sons and daughters. The dying are given life in abundance. Failure is overcome with with grace and mercy. Can you fit yourself into that scenario this morning? Can you fit yourself into that that picture? When you face the trials of life in a sinful world, is your cry like that of the servant of Elisha? What should we do? If so, if so, you need to turn to the gospel of Jesus Christ. You need to open your Bible and read. And when when you open God's word, you'll find that it offers it offers beauty, and it offers strength and identity and freedom and a connection with something that is so very, very important for our lives, a connection to God Almighty. A scripture lesson today shows us that man-made chariots arrayed around Dothan are no match for the chariots of God. I mean, the chariots of God are chariots of fire, meeting the needs of hearts in ways that overwhelm the threatening and destructive alternatives that this world offers. And so, so with spiritual eyes open, you and I will hear those comforting words, don't be afraid, don't be afraid. Those who are with us are greater than those who are with them. You know, sometimes, sometimes people of God, the appropriate prayer is not, O Lord, rescue me, but instead, O Lord, open my eyes. Open my eyes so I can see your providential presence. Open my eyes. Amen. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your holy word. We thank you for this passage that talks about fear, the very same fear that that many of us see 
and express and feel every single day. And Lord, sometimes we are so much like Elisha's servant and we cry out, what should we do? I need help. What, what can we do? Instead, Lord, we ask that you will help us to realize that you are already there. We just, we just need to ask you to open our eyes so we can see your help all around us. And Lord, that we can depend on you being there. It's not something that happens only once in a while. It's not an anomaly. It happens all of the time. You're always protecting us. You promise that. So help us, Lord, so that we can depend on that and count on that. And help us that because of that protection, we can, as Elisha did, give you the praise and the glory for all that you have done for us. Lord, may we not keep this message to ourselves because there are countless people in this world who are hurting not knowing which way to turn. Lord, use us too to reach out to them. May we be an example to them, a lesson to them. May we be used by you so that your name may be praised. It's in that precious name of Jesus we pray.